Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking to Juliette Cesar, who is a designer, writer, and assistant professor of communication design at the New School's Parsons School of Design. She's designed books for places like Tartine Bakery, was president of the board of directors for AIGA New York for a couple years, and has written a lot about uh, graphic design and the design business and how to work as a graphic designer. In this conversation, Juliet and I talk about her own background in architecture and what it was like working for Peter Eisenman, and then going to grad school to study at Yale, as well as teaching design theory to students and what's missing in design writing right now and how writing has changed her own practice. This was a super fun and really wide-ranging conversation that I, I really want to get right into, but I just really enjoyed talking to Juliet. She's, her name has come up on a lot of other interviews that I've done, so I was really looking forward to this conversation, and it was so great to get to know her and hear her thoughts on things like these. It's a bit longer than some of the usual episodes, but she's just really fun to talk to and I think offers a lot to the design discourse and is a really important voice right now. So let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Juliette Cesar. As much as I would love to talk about your background, I don't want to spend that much time because I do think that that Great Discontent interview actually kind of covers a lot of what we would have talked about. So I would just direct anyone you know who's, who is listening to this to just you know pause, read that, and then come back. But the one thing that wasn't there or that I didn't get from that that I think might be a good place to actually set up all of this is I'll, I'll give a quick summary. You know, you had studied architecture, kind of fell into design you know, worked as a designer, basically. But something that was interesting, and you worked for... or I you wanted to, Right, and you wanted to work for any magazine, yeah. um, which is something that I, I'm So this I'm a is the story that, that I'd like to tell. Okay. Which, I mean, I, I, I don't okay. know whether we should just get into it, yeah. which is that I went... So I went to Virginia Tech uh, for architecture school, and Virginia Tech at the time, and probably still to some degree, was a very moder modernism to postmodernism a little bit type of school. It was all about the Bauhaus and Carlos Scarpa and, yeah. you know, Aldo Rossi was as far as they were going to go. Okay. And all of the sort of uh, cool stuff that people, kids were studying at Columbia or whatever, Frank Gehry's and right. Peter Eisenman's were all taboo. Like you could not talk about them. You were not allowed to talk about them. They were an abomination to the field and it was not, yeah. uh, it, it was, it just wasn't the order of the day. Uh, at the time, and I, I went to architecture school from '91 to '96, so this is the early '90s. Okay. And and so my third year in architecture school, we had to do a case study, and I did a case study on the Holocaust Museum in okay. Washington. Yeah. And visited I.M. Pei's office here in okay. New York, and and while I was on that trip, uh, we went, we you know, we visited all the museums and stuff, and and at the Whitney. Uh, in the bookstore was a copy of anyone on okay. sale for $20 because somebody had torn it in half. So <laughs> nice. And so I, I bought this thing cause it's contraband at this point. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, and I, you know, it's, I spent so much time looking at it as an object. It's a Massimo Vignelli designed it. It's pink square, okay. 10 by 10. It's actually like one of the best designed objects I have in some ways, like for what it is. And, and I, even I, though it's ripped in half, even though it was ripped in half, I taped it back together. Okay. You know, and it was within my budget since it was twenty dollars. Right. And and then and then I you know I slowly started reading pieces out of it, and it's really just conference proceedings from a very theoretical architecture conference. And but that's how I got to uh, see these ideas okay. you know, from yeah. that I was not exposed to in school because in school we were we were reading Corbusier, we were reading Mies van der Rohe, we didn't read anything from living people or we were not really encouraged to. So, um, you know, which is different depending on where you go and yeah. what time it is. But, uh, but so, and, and it was, and I still think about the role of graphic design in this particular book because, so, you know, I didn't understand very much of it. And, but there were some that were just two pages long or that were really right. big type. Right. So I would, it would start with one and then I'd read another and I would just keep going. 
And, and so at the end of that, so two years later, when I moved to New York, my first, my first thing that I wanted to do was go work at Indie. And they had, okay. they had an editorial position open. And, and I thought to myself, like, which is very, I mean, which to me is so kind of funny and ridiculous because I, I went to architecture school in the first place because I thought it was art plus math. And then right. when I graduated, my first wish was to go into editing, you know, that I wanted yeah. to be a, a, a writer and an editor. And, and then when I interviewed with Cynthia Davidson, she said, you know, look, you know, we like you, but you don't know anything. You know, you're 21 years old. You yeah. just showed up here from Virginia. Like, yeah. You don't even know who these people are. And <laughs> I mean, so this, this is actually great because this sets up two of my, the first questions that I, that I had for you. And one, I'm going to just give them both mm -hmm. to you now and you can kind of pick how you want to answer them. But one is I was interested in, that didn't come across in that great discontent interview is you applying for this job at any where your interest in architecture theory came from and then the second part of this which may or may not be related is where your interest in writing or editing or you know that kind of thing came from because it does seem studying architecture to then go to something that's very theoretical and writing based where, where did those things come together well there's a few I mean there's a few different reasons for it one is that I am I'm a reader before anything like okay. I'm 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 a I'm an omnivorous voracious reader I read you know I'm that kind of cliche I read the backs of the shampoo bottle kind oh, of. I yeah. read everything anywhere I hate read I love read I do all of it okay and so uh and I was already like that before I went to school. Um, I, you know, and I loved, I, mostly I read fiction all through college. Okay. Like I didn't really read that much theory. And, and I was, I was such a contrarian in school too, um, all throughout, all through grad school as well. Yeah. Um, and so I was always looking for new ideas that were not in the environment around me. You know, it's like I would, I would listen to what was going on around me and I would think, think about it. And I would think, well, what, you know, what yeah. else is there? What? <laughs> Yeah. And the only way to really get that, I mean, unless you're in a really eclectic environment, is by reading and by, like, really looking. And, I, you know, I, I do the same thing now with my Twitter feed, for example. I follow people that, you know, I probably don't see eye to eye with at all, like, just so that I can kind of get some other ideas. So, so, but in being a contrarian, I started to really get into theory because it was the okay. thing we were not supposed to do in my school. And right. because it was considered... Uh, you know, the debate at the time was, uh, the, you know, the term paper architecture has yeah. come up. You know, the debate at the time was that to be a real architect, you really had to understand, you know, the meaning of the material, like what does the brick want, you know, right. sort of total Louis Kahn, um, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, and either you're earnest about it or you're not, and all this stuff, all this puffery of people sitting around writing or making projects mm -hmm. that uh, aren't going to be realized is just a... Uh, you know, masturbatory waste of time. Right. So I was like, but what if it isn't? And so I was just really attracted okay. to to that, to see, like, well, what is on the other side of, like, what is behind the bleachers exactly? Like, just because you were told <laughs> that it didn't matter. Probably. You know, you were like, yeah. there's... Like, there, there must be something there yeah. if everybody's so so upset about it. So, um, but also, like, I, I should say, you know, I was I was kind of conditioned that way to some to some degree already. But then... You know, so after um, after I didn't work at any, um, you know, Cynthia Davidson had said, "Well, why don't you? Why don't you? You know, my my husband is looking for right. uh, an archivist. Like, why don't you go apply to work for him?" And of course, like she underscored her initial point because I didn't know she was married to Peter Eisenman when I first right. talked to her. Right. And uh, and and so, but then in the process of working for him, um, you know, I was, I was the all around, like I, I was everything from, uh, the person who fetches the umbrellas to the person who, uh, does all the PR for the office. And, you know, I, I traveled to Munich and Istanbul to like set up exhibitions. Like I have, I was yeah. both like king and pauper in yeah. the office yeah. all the time, but an important part of it that I never really, uh, talk about too much, but which is kind of important is that Pete, so Peter taught at Princeton and, and at other schools as well, right. and he his method he didn't allow his students to take notes. So what he would do is he would lecture, he would record his lectures, and then he would give the tape to me, and then I would transcribe it every week. <laughs> so I got a completely crack education right. in 
the Peter Eisman version of architectural theory um, by transcribing the lectures, and which is a very weird way yeah. to read. Or it's kind of write. amazing, though. It's the what? weirdest. I mean, transcription itself is like the weirdest yeah. thing you can do to your brain. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 also during the process, you know, like I had come in thinking. Oh, you know, here's this famous guy. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you from like a 20 year old right, perspective. Right, right. You know, here's this famous guy. I'll find out that like really it's all smoke and mirrors. But you know, he did really turn out to be one of the most. I mean, still to this day, like definitely one of the top smartest people I've ever met. Ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it was just he had a brain that was like a, a just ate everything around it basically. Right. And uh, and so it was really interesting. Or I, I got a very front row seat to to that were you ever thinking that you wanted to be an architect like at this point were you still thinking that you were eventually going to be an architect i, I believed that i was going to eventually be an architect for a long time and okay. like my my plan when i went into the office was that i would do that for a couple of years i would apply to graduate school in architecture um and you know it all kind of unfold from there right. and uh and that and but then at in the process of it um and some you know the there was a certain point at which like, I had left the office and I was working at the Museum of Modern Art in their graphic design right, department. Right. And like all these things kind of came together, but there was a specific moment where I was still doing freelance work for, for Peter's office. And I met with him and, and, you know, and I had been doing graphic design in that office the whole time. But you know, he finally looks at me and he says, why don't you just become a graphic designer? And I just thought, yeah. graphic designer? Like it just... It just didn't yeah. sound like anything that right. I had ever wanted to do. And yet, you know, and it's funny because for years afterwards, too, like when people said, uh, uh, like before I went to graduate school and people said, what do you do? I would say, I'm a book designer because I wasn't really oh, willing to go all the way to graphic yeah. designer. Like I thought graphic designer was just something else and that I didn't want anything to do with. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was the moment of, of that transition, but it's really when I was working at MoMA to um, my, uh, the, the, a woman who was the associate director there, who still is the associate director there, Ingrid Chu, she was, she had gone to okay. Yale and she was the one that kind of kept pulling me aside and saying, Hey, you know what? Like, maybe you should think about going to school for okay. this and just yeah. doing this. And I was like, no, no, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just doing this, yeah. you know, as a freelance job. Like I would be, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll make it out. And she was like, no, no, maybe you should. So when, that, this is exactly what my next question is going to be, is wh when did this idea that you should go to Yale to study graphic design come in? Or how did that happen? Well, it, After being kind of resistant for, for so long? or Well, it I mean, it happened exactly in, in, in that order in some ways. It was yeah. like right around that same time that she was suggesting this, and, you know, Peter was saying, uh, like, why don't you just be a graphic designer, which I was, like, very emotional about, too, to some degree, to have my architect boss, like, who kind of right. rules the architectural world say, you know, uh, there's no place for you here. Like, why don't you go somewhere else? You know, yeah. like, it wasn't exactly a compliment, you know, that, yeah. that he would say that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, and also at this, but there were, there were a couple more things that went into it. One was... Uh, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm right now writing the AIGA Guide to Careers in, in, in Graphic yeah. and Communication Design, which is a, a kind of re, uh, revision of an original book that Sharon Pogenpal made okay. in 1993. And that was around the MoMA office. And like in the book, she had interviewed all these people, just they had all these little snippets. And to me, when I looked at the field through that book, I was like, oh, well, this is a this is a field where people like me, their views are valued. And, you know, whereas architecture felt like there was no, like I, the best I could do was be, uh, that I would always have to work for somebody else. And the best I could do was either, and if I wanted to be independent, I would have to marry another architect to be. <laughs> right. Um, and I, and I say, and I like, in some ways, like looking back on it now, I, I think, you know, that was naive of you to think that yeah. you couldn't have done it on your own. Like there's plenty of people who did do it on their own and they did just fine. Yeah. But that was, you know, because there was so, <clears throat> there was so much consternation at the time. And again, this is the nineties that, yeah. that women were not being um, recognized or respected, mm -hmm. which is ongoing, you know, obviously. Right. 
But like the way that I read that as a 20 year old woman was not like, yeah, like, let's go for it. I read it as you should get out like while you, while you still can. Yeah. And uh, like, there's no place for women here. So like, why don't you just go? And, uh, and so, so that was like part. So that was one part of it. The second part was the people I was working with at MoMA, which is they were all really nice. Yeah. You know? And they mm-hmm. were just all really good people. And I, and I will say like, as much as I can get, um, grouchy about the field or you know different ideas within it um you know when as compared to architecture no matter what designers are much nicer and they're much nicer to each other and they're much nicer to to other people than any of the people i worked around um in the architecture world so you know in 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 that's the trade-off almost of you know had the things that yeah given up but i mean what's interesting is so I make that decision to apply apply to Yale. I get into Yale, which is like also kind of, I mean, everybody who gets into Yale is always thinking somebody must have made a mistake, you know, it's always yeah, yeah. under underlining um, thought. But, but I did not, I mean, I didn't do any research, you know, it was already hard enough for me to go ahead and make that move to just apply. Um, and to, to think about it, yeah. that I didn't, never really thought about what graduate study in graphic design would be like. You know, I didn't really talk to anyone. I didn't really go. So I thought that it would be exactly like uh, going to architecture school for an MRC. Oh, yeah. You know, either yeah. at yeah. Yale or Princeton or wherever, except it would just be transposed to this completely different topic. And so it was kind of like same ice cream, different flavor. You know, it was going to be, you know, we were going to be doing a lot of reading and writing. And, you know, there was going to be this this complete kind of generalist, multidisciplinary uh-huh. sort of thing. Um, and I was I was really shocked uh, the whole time I was there for what it actually was. So, so what, yeah, what was it? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, and it's very similar now. And, and, I, and I mean, and I'm in a position now where I would, I would even defend the right for these programs to exist in ways okay. that other people really don't anymore. But I mean, it was it was set up as an MFA program, so okay. you made work all the time. You brought in work uh, uh, four days a week for a six-hour crit every week, right? And you sat there and you talked about it, and you okay. defended okay. it, and okay. you know yeah. it was just like it was twenty-four hours of critique every week. And then all the rest of your time taken up making work. And, mm-hmm. and I was, uh, you know, I was completely thrown by it because it wasn't what I was expecting. I was so embroiled in the commercial world already, too. Like, I was still freelancing all through school, which I've, I've, oh, wow. I've heard has been banned, like, several times like, since then, probably from my example. <laughs> um, and, you know, I had a really hard time... Um, I mean, I had a hard time in a couple of different ways. One is, like, I was 25, and being 25 kind okay, of sucks. Yeah. Um, the second was, uh, I had a hard time reconciling that I was at Yale. Yeah. Like, I, I, I would always joke that I was expecting everybody to be in robes or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, It was just uh, my um, my feeling that I didn't belong there. It was always, it would always rise up, like, and kind of yeah. haunt me, like, very regularly. And then, and then the third was that I was so used to and in love with the, the, the conversation that you have with someone when you're making a book, for example, that not having any kind of counterpoint in making projects of just like making them on my own was just really enormously difficult for me. Like, yeah. I, I was like, what difference does it make if I make it like this or I make it like that? You know, I mean, yeah. there's no, yeah. if I have no other person and where you know where this was also the period where um being the the you know it was it was so much more prioritized the idea that you could make graphic design that you know didn't have to mess with clients or whatever it was like still so strong and and i was like but what's the value of that thing that's so i I never understood i never understood it that's something that's interesting to me because as I've been talking to people, something that's been fascinating to me are people that have a very, this is a little bit different than what you were saying, but I, I relate very much to the, to that feeling of kind of, you know, why are we doing this? Because the, the, the guests on this podcast that have been most interesting to me are people that come from these very kind of high theoretical backgrounds and then are able to put that into a commercial context. And 
that's very interesting to me in the sense that that's something that I haven't gotten to do. All the times that I've been able to incorporate my writing or kind of my theories about what design should be have all been in, you know, kind of class projects where I have full control over it anyway. And I think there's that, that interesting key of a client or someone else that you have to have that back and forth. Yeah, or or you. I mean, it's a complete. It's just a personality thing, honestly. Like, and I, which is, I mean, and and that's the conundrum of me altogether. It's like I, I've always worked alone. I don't, I don't really. I'm not a, I'm not a team person (laughs) in general. So, um, like the the, but yet and yet, like I need a, I need a, I need somebody else to bounce with, like every single project. And it, and it needs to also not necessarily be a positive relationship, you know, which is also a whole other kind of psychological right. thing. Right. But, but, you know, those are the, those are the environment, that's the type of environment in which I do my best work is where there's some kind of tension between me and another person in making a project yeah. together. So, um, and that's, which is, which is, which is cool. And like, but it was very much missing when I was in school, but the, the other part that was missing was um, the, like, I really thought that, the work that we were making, that there would be this at least background noise of like reading and listening and Mm -hmm. talking about bigger ideas and, and things have changed. I mean, I will say that too. Like, you know, I, I was a thesis critic up at RISD for a couple of years and like there, there's so much more, uh, thinking, writing, uh, reading than, than there was in my time. But, but like, I mean, at some point it's, uh, you know, I remember going to Paul Elman, you know, who was one of my esteemed critics and just saying like, why is it that I've been here for two years? And no one has ever recommended that I read a book. Like, where, like, what are we doing that yeah. like, is only making sense in just this context? And, and I, you know, and again, like things have, this is 15 years ago. Like right. Things have changed quite a bit. But it was, it was me rubbing up against a, a pure art model. I mean, it was like fine arts work almost yeah. exactly the same way, um, you know, in that it was about discovering your voice and your, um, yeah perspective and and i do think there's value to that like i don't want to um come over come here 15 years later and say like what what, like what a a waste it was it was incredibly incredibly valuable but it wasn't at the time me in it like i was just thrown by it because i just wasn't expecting that i was expecting something else what were you hope what were you hoping to get from you know readings or Kind of writing or that discourse that you were looking for aside from the just you know making things well it, it's well I, and I, I guess i was looking for the same feeling i got from architecture like architecture if you so i was in so virginia tech is in blacksburg virginia which is in the middle of nowhere and yeah. so i spent all my time in the library and i <laughs> worked in the library and and I, I was, I was just so in love with all the ideas and things around architecture that when it came down to the business of making buildings, I was kind of like, eh, buildings, I don't know, you know, like I didn't really have the same enthusiasm for buildings as I did about all of that stuff, and, and so the, you know, in going to, I could only, and I, I try to like think about this feeling because I try to recapture it now, which yeah. is, I thought like, well, over there on that side of the fence. You know, I bet you they're talking about all of these things. And I bet you they're talking about like people and ideas right. and how right. people communicate and uh, you know, media and like all these things that we you know, architects were already talking about, but just better and more right. and faster about about those types of things and, and about the influence of the visual yeah. and yeah. Of, of language. Um, and 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 it was really surprising to jump the fence and then not and just like, not, not be find there. It in, yeah. in, in in that form that I had expected, and and I'm still kind of and what's what's interesting though is like it it, it is there and it was there. It's just that uh, the and I mean this is kind of a complicated thought in some ways, but it's not that the stuff doesn't exist. It's that the audience for it is not as consistent or lockstep in a way that you know if I talk mm-hmm. to an architect uh, or anyone who's who has an undergraduate education in architecture there are about like 20 things that I can already expect them to know um, right away. You know, even like, you know, it's like they will know, they will know Mies van der Rohe, they will right. know uh, Frank Gehry, they will know all these things. Whereas, you know, when I talk to anybody in my field now, 
you know, anything that I mention, like I can't make an assumption that they know what that is. And, and it could be, I mean, it's like things that would blow your mind. You know, it's like two by four. Like how many like walk around and ask people, like, do you know what two by four is? And, 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 and there's, mm-hmm. there's a but, subset that knows what that is. And then there's a very wide mass that like doesn't have any idea what you're talking about. So like yeah. we are in that field and it's a very, it's the big tent that we traded. We trade, we traded for that basically. And this is, that's a really good point that I've not thought about before that I, I feel like you're on to something there. And I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to lay all my cards on the table that I feel like in a lot of ways I was like, and pr- probably still am almost the opposite of you where I see, I feel like graphic design could have all of that kind of discourse around it. And I'm, I'm, I'm the person that's always looking at architecture and it's like, how do we get that over here? <laughs> and, I, you know, and, and that's, I feel like that's so much of why I even, you know, do, do these interviews is because I feel like somebody must have an answer to that or somewhere there is, has to be an answer to that. And so I don't know exactly what my question is there, but, but I'm. Well, I mean, have, you have to ask the question of like, well, why not? Yeah. And, and the, the why not is, is. It, and and a lot of the why not or that I've heard in the past is well you know there's like people just aren't writing or like that that yeah. people aren't starting things or whatever people are writing and starting things all the time it's the it's it's the reception or like the feeling like architects are kind of indoctrinated into this feeling that if you don't know what's going on you know in this issues this this month's mm-hmm, October mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you are you are lesser than you know like there's yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of um, uh, pressure to at least be either be in the know or to look like you are. And, and that, you know, that's a binding thing, you know, in a lot of ways. And like, we just don't, like, we, we don't have, we don't have the kind of audience that cares enough about it. So, I mean, so I think that's one, that's one thing. The, the second thing of like, why not is, uh, and you've, you've talked with a couple of people about like the sort of economic apparatus. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and underneath things like so like so peter peter eisman you know who mm-hmm. uh, i had worked for i mean he's actually the most interesting in like the, that culture in architecture did not develop organically like in any way like so if you have any thoughts that the people were just like so so smart and so in love with themselves that they just magically created this yeah. uh this thing it's not it's not true you know the the uh there's so much influence still 30 years later of uh, 40 years later, maybe, of the Institute of Architecture and Urban Studies, which Peter had started yeah. in the 70s, and and all these people that you ever hear talked about, you know, Rem Koolhaas, yeah. yeah. they all went through the Institute yeah. at some point in time, and, and, and they were so excellent and deliberate, and, 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 and I think about this a lot for us, like, they managed to uh, get money and then repurpose it into making uh, creating a culture around architecture that hadn't like wasn't I mean what was there mm-hmm. I mean I'm, I'm not going to say there was no culture in yeah. architecture before 1970 because obviously that's not true right. but like whenever you ask the question of like why not somebody says invariably says oh well you know architecture has been around longer and, like that's right, the right. explanation but it's been around longer and there's a lot more architects it's a bigger field those are always the two that I hear well the it's most. not a bigger field number yeah. one like that 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 right, like yeah. put that idea to rest it is definitely not a bigger field graphic design is like four times the size of architecture in terms of the number of people who practice so like that that that's not true yeah i mean um, th- yeah that makes sense but but the 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 difference um is is that you know you just have you you it's not a historical thing you had a very deliberate effort to bring this kind of like smart stuff into the field all the stuff that made my professors mad in at freaking tech mm-hmm. of like you know like why does dairy dot need to speak at a conference and all the really kind of yeah, like yeah, socket yeah, to them yeah. stuff like that happened here in new york because a very small group of people decided let's do it yeah and but they also have were backed by the money like we have those people like they're all over yeah. the place there's so many smart people in this field um but, you know, like there's a story, for example, with the Institute where uh, I think it's Peter who goes to 
he's going to go ask for money for the institute and he's he wants like half a million dollars and somebody says like no man like don't ask for half a million dollars ask for a million dollars and so he goes out and he asks for a million dollars from one of his clients or whatever maybe yeah. it's philip johnson i'm bungling the story but but then they get it so they get a million dollars in 1970 or whatever and you know and it just it's just a story to give you pause that like you know we right. are not we don't have we don't have a field where anybody any one of our clients especially is going to mm-hmm. like give us that kind of money yeah. to promote the work that we do or like invite Jacques Derrida to a conference like right. we're just not going to do right. it in fact you know all of the people that we work for who have that kind of money to spend they're only going to they're going to put it in their marketing budget and that's the only way you're going to be able to use right. it and so and it's you know we as a uh, as a tribe, as a people, like, yeah. we just don't have the same kind of money. We don't come from the same same kind of money. We don't serve the same kind of money. It's just a different field. I, so I'm going to make a couple connections, and I'm not sure if they're going to fully align, but what you're saying right now reminds me of something that I had just recently been thinking about. I just interviewed uh, this guy, Jack Self, whose episode will probably come out right before mm-hmm. this one. Um and, and we were talking about kind of something similar. He said something about architects is we're trained to see everything as architecture, basically. Any oh, yeah. type of thing in the world is an architecture problem, basically. And so, you know, talk about, you know, everything from income inequality to border walls to, you know, the environment. Architects are trained to see all of that through the lens of architecture and how can architecture how is that an architecture problem? How is that an architecture issue? And I thought that was interesting. The more I thought about that, I realized that I think there's some of that in design. I'm using design in the largest sense there, that you know every designer thinks that everything is a design problem. And, and even this kind of trope that design is problem solving yeah. somehow kind of trains you to see everything as a problem that needs to be solved through design. And I want to take that and connect it a little bit, hopefully, to your work as a teacher and as an educator, because the thing that seems to be missing for me in thinking about that, seeing everything as a design problem or an architecture problem, is, and and like I said, this is a very new thought, so I don't know if this is going to align exactly, is that there seems to be a, a difference, and I've talked about this with a lot of people, between kind of your theory and history classes and your making classes, your studio well, here, classes. Here it's structural. Like that's, yeah. I mean, that's like one of the hardest uh, rows to hoe right there. Because like here we have, um, like we, the way that Parsons is structured is that, is that you're not, like it's the, it's the most anti-silo right. school that's right. out there basically. Like if you are, uh, if you're a designer or photographer or whatever, you, you actually take very few core courses that are wholly governed by your department. And, and you know, and when I was oh, directing right. the programs here, it was, I mean, and I, I do think it's an excellent design problem, like the structure <laughs> yeah. of the curriculum yeah. in school. Like, it's it's the best uh, yeah. problem I've ever worked on. And, like, one of the one of the downsides we have here, though, is that, and everything's a trade-off. So we have, we have a department of, uh, or... Uh, I guess, yeah, I guess it's, what would you call it? The school, the School of Art and Design History and Theory, uh, oh. affectionately called ADHD. Um, <laughs> I love it. And uh, one of our <laughs> many acronyms. Yeah. And, and so students take all their history and theory courses <laughs> there. Like all their history and theory requirements come out of like certain course codes that okay. are housed there. And, and the advantage is that the people teaching are usually historians and they have PhDs mm. and, and whatever. The disadvantage is that they are not as uh, concerned directly with any one of the students' like individual trajectories in terms of how they connect that history and theory back to the school. So, so and and we are you know in communication design we are the studio component and like mm-hmm. we're basically um, it's not like we would get reprimanded or anything, but we're not really allowed to be teaching any of the history and theory stuff, you know, so, oh, interesting. so we do, we do weird backflips, like we have, we, Eugene Park, who's now the director, mm-hmm. she, um, who's wonderful, uh, she, she instituted a, instituted an advanced typography class that is mostly a theory class, so, okay, 
you know, so we kind of work, we work around, around yeah. it to some degree to try to address like the thing I was talking about earlier of like just not having common references. Like that's right. where we can actually have them. Because I mean, the, and, and I'll say this too, like I didn't realize how, uh, and you know, we could talk actually for another hour about history, by yeah. the way. But, um, you know, so we had, so I would have students come into my class and, and you know, they would show me something and be like, what the hell is this? And then they would say, I was inspired by Art Deco. <laughs> And, yeah. and I, would, I would just be kind of in a position of just not being able to even respond because I didn't really understand. Like, there were so many things loaded into that mm -hmm. of, like, why like why did you think that being inspired by Art Deco is, like, a prop, like a, an appropriate thing to do right, right. now? Right, yeah. To, like, you know, it's it's November 25th. Like, what are we doing in Art Deco? And, and, I, and I would go into... Uh, uh, the poor dean of ADHD every year or every semester and I would say like I want to see the graphic design history curriculum and I, I want it to change and she would say like, well what's the problem and I would say well you know you cover graphic design up until like you only have one class that covers graphic design after 1970 I'm like I want it to start in 1970 she's like but what about history I'm like I don't care like just get rid of it yeah. and just start in 1970 and let's move on from there and so we, we would have this 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 back and forth like of 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 trying to figure out like what was actually relevant and it's not to say that um, I don't value anything before 1970 but it was just it was just like we had one year we had Hurricane Sandy and so we had you know we skipped a class and so none of my students had history since 1970 yeah. and and they didn't but you know the bigger question too is like we don't really have uh, a structure of like we have this idea that a student should know like this, 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 and this. And yeah. We don't really yet, and I, you know, I have great hopes for education. Actually, like I'm more of an optimist than a pessimist, really. Um, but we don't have a structure in which a student really knows how to think historically in terms of, well, why is this the way that it is? Right. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, they they don't start with a question. They walk through a bunch of visual things. Uh -huh. They, they they are taught by people who are not like them. So the people who are uh, historians also, they, they worry that the material is not interesting to them. So they do things like give them projects, like mm -hmm. make a um, make a project inspired by Art Deco. And, and then it, it warps like what we're doing right. over on our side because we don't, we neither have a common language to speak with them, nor do we have uh, a kind of, attitude towards history that says you want to go back and look at that mm -hmm. stuff because you want to ask some serious questions like, yeah why is like why is the hamburger menu like on the left yes. you know like yes. you, you, like you really you really need to like start with something and then keep digging down to I mean, find the origin like that's what you really want to do yeah and instead we do this weird this is two, this is two things that I've, I've been thinking about a lot that i i was curious to you started answering this already but i just kind of want to even simplify it more or, or boil it down more and one there, there's two things here one is that design history and i just talked to teal triggs about mm -hmm. this also that design history is often seen as this history of objects oh yeah and then and it's exactly what you're just saying just where it's to lose track posters right i mean burn them all <laughs> like i don't understand right. Like where what that has to do with anything and there's meanwhile by the way like uh there's a great book post digital print i don't know if you're familiar with it um it I, I teach it in my publishing okay. class but uh there you can approach the history of like why do we do what we do from so many different directions yeah yeah and especially if you get into the history of technology and the history of communication all the things that i was hoping to right. find you know right of, right like i wasn't expecting that i would come up from architecture and people would say our field started with Toulouse-Lautrec when he yeah. drew a letter on a painting and, and it was advertising something. Like, I, I mean, it really has nothing to do with 99% of the work that we do. It just really doesn't. Well, and the problem with, with that type of design history, I think, is that the easiest thing to take away from that is the surface level of that, is the style of that. And so you don't think about what was going on in the culture at that time no, you know, a why mean, why Lautrec was important. And, 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 you know, like, I learned, and this is, uh, I don't know, it's a snob thing to say, but, like, I learned much more from architectural history that's relevant to the work I do now than I do, than I did from 
uh, how, that like, kind of history. I mean, not like, that I know that history all that well. I'll also own up to that. But, um, but like art, you know, so like architecture, when you're talking about, it's also the way that it's taught, you know, so the architecture, when you're talking about going from, uh, like when you talk about mannerism, for example, mm -hmm. it's combined with an explanation of what are the ideas that were happening at the same time. Right. And so like when, when you're talking about like the, my, my understanding of like modernism, for example, is, you know, style is such a small piece of piece of it. You know, like yeah. I understand modernism in a very different way. And like my students, like, and I, I, I encourage you or anybody else uh, listening to, if they're teaching, to walk into a class that you're teaching and ask them, what is modernism? And like, see what you get, because the way, so you'll get answers like, it's making things simple. Yeah. And yeah. and and there's no understanding of like their rewards. I, I wanted something that I wanted to talk to you about was how you think about teaching students about these types of things because something that I've been thinking about a lot is is you know it's exactly that idea of how how do you how do you bring in the theories of these kind of you know, I don't even know what to call them, movements or, or eras in design history, so students are aware of them, but it's not just the style that they're taking from it, but it's actually the ideas behind them. So that's one, but then the second part is, how do you then, or is it even possible to relate those theories to work that you're making today? Well, and the reason, I'll add one other kind of thing just to tie it back to what you were talking about earlier is, I've seen so many students, and this comes back to this idea of seeing everything as a design problem, um, where it's, you know, a, a thesis project, and it's, you know, I want to I wanna solve X, or I am interested in this, this, and this. And it's, you know, this great kind of intellectual question, and then you kind of watch this presentation, and it gets to the end where they show the thing that they've made, and it feels completely unrelated, because it is, you know, Art Deco, all of a sudden they've added Art Deco style, because you know, like who knows it. why. And how do you actually add the theories of these things to help make, you know, that arc well, I mean, make it's sense? All do you very, know what I mean? But it's all Is very that... complicated. I mean, you can demonstrate how, let's say, a modernist piece of design responded to uh, a modernist idea. You know, like you can, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can make that whole case as a case study. The, the, the other question now, though, and, you know, which has troubled me a lot lately, which I've written about recently, is that the specificity of the form um, as, as carrying meaning in itself, like the formal decisions carrying meaning in themselves, um, you know, while you can, you can draw such a straight line, you know, the ionic column versus the Doric column, like you can right. really explain right. why and, and how. At this point, we are in such a... Uh, mix and remix and whatever I mean the way that these visual uh, forms have have gathered and changed meaning yeah. over the last five even five years it's really hard to make a case that if it looks a certain way it means a certain thing like it's so it's right. just thinner I'm not saying it's gone but like the idea that if I make this if I make the build like it's like if I go into the suburbs and I make a building that looks like a giant big white cube like that actually means mm -hmm. something and sometimes it just means like screw you like i'm here or whatever yeah but you know in the environment that we're in especially the environment online which i think about a lot in terms of the, visual, the visuality of like, things online it's it's just we are so we're so scrambled and, and it's 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 an interesting it's interesting too like which things we pick up as contemporary design like so much of contemporary design is rooted in 1960s yeah, and 1970s yeah. counterculture yeah and and it's almost like you know uh, when you're old and you're not old yet like you well, i'm not old yet either i guess but but like you know you get to a point where you're you're thinking am i really going to listen to pavement for the rest of yeah the day? yeah right and and it's and it's kind of like that, you know, you're like, oh, wow. Like, so this is what we're going to, like, this is what a countercultural zine is going to look like for the rest of my life. And like, now we're stuck. Like, and it's not something specific to design, by the way, like the, mm -hmm. the, the scrambling of what things look like and what they mean um, is, is everywhere, but it does make the teaching of, of history complicated. But, you know, I'm even less 
worried about that. Like I'm less worried about um, how well you understand your movements or whatever to, to not even really, like it's our, our culture of uh, the internet and buying and selling things is so pervasive in so many, in ev it's in everything yeah. that, yeah. that we don't have, uh, you know, to even have a conversation with that, like is something that is, is hard. And it's yeah. hard because everything you do now is so public and it's so findable. You know, your search, all your ideas are searchable now. Right. So how are you going to say, you know, I think this sucks or like, I think this is a bad idea or maybe we shouldn't have, um, companies spying on people while they're working, you know, yeah. like, I mean, there are people who say it, but you know, as a designer, it becomes really difficult to say, I'm going to like when the ideas now that I'm interested in, I don't know how those ideas get represented other than to just like hide in plain sight, you know, like that's yeah. like, there's no, there's no physical or visual cognate to those thought, those thoughts in a way that people would be able to recognize it. I think this is a good way to transition this into kind of larger design, a larger discussion about the kind of contemporary design discourse, because I think this is an interesting piece is how do you, how do you even think about beginning to, how do you even think about talking about designed artifacts when there are all these variables? How do you create a kind of coherent discourse around that? Or is it even possible, maybe, is, is even a better question, to have a coherent discourse around graphic design when there are all these kind of cultural, historical, formal, commercial, political variables wrapped up in all of this stuff? Well, well you can. Uh, I mean, there and there is one. You know, yeah. there, there, there are many. There are many, many, many discourses. Yeah. They're all very spread out. Um, I, I mean, the thing that I think about is just, you know, who, who can engage in it um, and to what degree and yeah. who, where, where are the risks? Because the, the, I mean, like, that's the other thing I think about, especially with students, you know, it's like when I went to school, everything that I made did not potentially go onto like an online platform that the entire universe <laughs> could see, you know, like right. I never thought to myself, like, I better not make this because if it doesn't look like anything. Right, right then I'm not, you know, it's like the, this kind of, this sort of meta surveillance, you know, that we put yeah. on everybody. The same thing goes for, for writing and for, for being able to like speak your mind, so to speak. So there's, there's a lack of openness. Like, I think that's number one. Uh, number two is uh, the, the um, lack of any, not knowing who you're talking to, which I think is a, is, mm -hmm. is a, is a big one. And the, the, so, so, the short answer in some ways, or probably the short answer to a question you didn't even ask is, uh, you know, if you write something, you actually have to spend half your time selling that thing. Right. Um, unless you, the thing you wrote is already selling something else. Yeah. And so you don't, like, it's it's really, it's not, a, there's no kind of zone you can set up where people can just sort of freely exchange ideas that's right. not compromised in any way. I, I have a couple more questions. Just Sorry, to kind it was of, the most convoluted answer. <laughs> no, but it sets up it sets up kind of where I wanted to go to, to kind of wrap everything up or hopefully kind of you know kind of put a bow around a lot of this. And I was interested in kind of how this affects you personally and your work. Um, and so in addition to being a designer that you teach and you write and you've published books and you have this kind of background and this interest in architectural theory. How does this stuff all kind of come together for you? Or how does, how does this change how you think about the actual, you know, design work that you do or vice versa? How does kind of being a designer affect how you think about these other things? Well, I mean, it's interesting because it's all kind of part of those. I mean, a lot of the questions that come up are uh, about writing theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking to people at a higher level, communication in general, right. are always going to be present in the work. Um, you know, I started off designing architecture books, so I'm kind of the reverse of uh, 
I mean, and I, you know, to go all the way back, I should also say it was also shocking to me the degree to which uh, graphic designers look to architecture yeah. as like a kind of holy land and how they wanted to be more mm -hmm. like architects, talk more like architects, um, and and do work for architects, you know, which which is fine, it's great, but like, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, once you've done a few of these, like, it's, yeah. you know, it gets yeah. so... I fell into because of because I had worked the second time around that I worked at MoMA. I I, I designed the identities for the cafes, oh the yeah, restaurant. I fell into like a completely different world, which is the food world, mm. and and I think a lot about how they are organized as a culture and like I mean and food books and cookbooks. Yeah. And mostly I design cookbooks now uh, are. You know, I mean, oh, the right. most, the most amazing, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've gone to the Strand recently, for example, but like that entire art and architecture section downstairs that yeah. I lived in for however many years, especially in my 20s, is now the cookbook section. And, and uh, if you, and if you want like a better kind of representation of what has happened to discourse in the public at large or whatever yeah. you look like you look at cookbooks look at food look at food blogs look at restaurants right. look at right you know if people used to be able to name uh you know what opera was on or whatever like even what movies are out like people now can tell you what restaurant just opened before they can tell you what's in the theaters right and because people as a, a yeah by which i mean like regular educated people or whatever um yuppies um don't like they're not, um, they've, they've somehow decided that that's going to be their, their communication medium to mm -hmm. talk about life, you know? And of course, like food is great because it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's also about food in general, but, and it's very accessible. Like there's always like, it has all these right. kind of steps up right. to it right. so that you don't really need to know very much to get into it. But then the, if you want to really get into it, there's like so much more distance to yeah. go and, and and there's just been a really nice apparatus around talking about food that you know has been um, very successful, like very successful. Yeah. And I and I just think to myself all the time, like, how is this not like why, like why why did this happen? You know, and and it's uh, so, yeah. so that's that's a so that's so that's one thing. Um, but then you know, so in my own work though, uh, it's still it's still the same in so many ways and that it's, okay. it's it's that conversation between me and the people that I'm right. working with right. and they are not designers. You know, I've never really, uh, not never, but you know, I don't regularly work in a context with other designers. So the designer to designer conversation is very much like a school thing or like yeah. you know, an yeah. thing or whatever. Um, but I mean, in terms of theory, like sure, you know, I'm always thinking about like, what does it mean to do it this way or that way? And it's specifically because I'm in this other world yeah. that doesn't already have a preconceived notion of what a cookbook should look like or what, you know, whereas, mm. like, architecture and art, you know, there's a very right. kind of set standard for what those things should look like. And so it's really kind of nice and fun to be on this other side. And, like, now, of course, I mean, it's also... a maybe from doing so many projects over the years, I'm so much looser now than I used to be. Like, oh, interesting. now I'm just very much, I guess because, you know, I've, I've, I have some certain habits of things and like how I do things, but, you know, when somebody says, well, what if we did it this way or whatever, my response now is more likely than not, just why not, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like, what if we change that? What if we do yeah. this other thing? Well, I wanted to ask you quickly about your sabbatical that you're on now or just finishing up. Um, because on your website, I copied this down because I really like the phrase that you have on your website about what you're spending your sabbatical on. Um, uh, these are your words, researching pathways in the relationship between design and the transmission of cultural ideas. Um, I, I, I kind of want to just kind of briefly hear what you're thinking about and around that, because I feel like a lot of that is so much of what this has evolved into and in the type of criticism that I'm interested in is, is not, um, and you know, you've listened before, so you know, I'm, I'm not interested in the let's critique the logo, the new logo or whether the kerning is, is, <laughs> you know, good or bad, but what is kind of being communicated or what is representing or how is this 
you know, what ideologies is this promoting or, or, or not? And that sounds very similar to what you're spending your time on. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought a lot about how to word that because it's also a way of keeping things open. Mm-hmm. Like a transmission yeah. of cultural ideas. Like basically at root, and this is the benefit of sabbatical has been that I've been free to read whatever yeah. I want. Yeah. You know, like I just have spent a lot of time reading and like, I'm just really interested in the whole question of how does a thought in my mind become a thought in your mind? Like how, how mm. does that happen? Yeah. And how has the way that that happens changed over the last whatever millennia? Yeah. And yeah. And there's so many good things written about that. And it's, and it's also because the, the, you know, once you have an idea, once you have an actual, uh, and by idea, I don't mean like a uh, thing you imagine in your head that you're going to sell to someone someday. I mean, right. like way of looking at things, like right. perspective. Right. Um, you, it never goes away. You can't undo it. You can't unhave that idea. And, and, you know, we are in a time right now where, the promise of the internet to make a completely like even and equal idea marketplace um, has obviously not come to pass. Um, And, and so I'm really interested in what is there? How do people put ideas into other people's heads? And, and how do you, what are ways through it, around it, under it, um, that, mm-hmm. you know, cause if anybody's going to be able to play in that space, it should be us, you know, like, right. and, and this is, this mm-hmm. goes back to the whole, you know, the transcriber, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that, you know, you're so familiar with the mechanism itself that like, why, like, why aren't we coming up with the things that are, um, could we come up with things that are yes. new ways to help people? Uh, and this is also to go back to your question of like, why don't we have like a robust uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. theoretical? I mean, the, the question that that you might also want to ask is, who does it benefit for us not to have that? And the people that benefits the yeah. most mm-hmm. is like anybody selling a degree to anybody across the United States with a promise that it's going to you know win them like a happy future or whatever. When that person has kind of no interest in design really and like is just kind of hoping that a degree will get them somewhere right. somewhere and like that business is so much bigger yeah. than yeah. the business of actually making design and and so like the the anti-intellectual tide that runs through this field which i'm sure you've seen yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like you kind of you kind of <laughs> took <Yeah>. very <laughs> small sliver off the top but there is um there's a real resistance to the idea that that you should have an elite group of people anywhere in the field, or right. always has been, by the way. I mean, it's, in my experience, I mean, right. I wasn't, I'm not 100 years old. I don't know what happened before. Um, the idea that there should be like anything elite about it, that there should be people like talking about ideas that aren't like directly connected to practice or benefiting a client or something like that, like that feeling. Um, you know, it, it's it's it, it's just shot through the whole yeah. field. And yeah. it's, you run up against, it's a resistance you run up against all over the place. But the most interesting thing is that you run up against it the most in schools. And you run up against it oh, in schools because uh, the, the prospect that you would, for example, like not admit somebody into a graphic design program, like to most people, is like ludicrous. You know, the idea yeah. that yeah. here is this, engine for the school for the most part that, right. that is just a money-making machine right. and that you would limit it in any way is is like why would you make it and then there are all these kind of almost uh i mean sometimes these words are used in a good way and sometimes they're used in a bad way but um the the you know just it's always considered like opening like opening up the field or like the big tent yeah or yeah the the you know it's like anything could be designed and anything that you do could be right um Good, because you did it. Right. And, you know, so, so those sorts of ideas, and this goes you know, all the way back to the whole, like, why does architecture have it? Architecture doesn't do that. Architecture has a very strict undergraduate. Right, yeah. Uh, with very strict standards, a very uh, lockstep curriculum across schools. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has a reputation for being difficult. I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. things about it, yeah. basically, that... Um, that and it and it intentionally keeps itself as being like a level above. Like yeah. It intentionally puts itself there, um, 
deliberately. And like, there's a great, um, I, Alexandra Lang um, posted this. It was a review of a, an online class that K. Michael Hayes gave. Oh, yeah. Did yeah. I didn't read I saw it's, the tweet so, or I saw the link to it. If, I haven't if, read it. If you want to understand the difference, like you should read that. Okay. Because, you know, the, it be, there's a benefit to speaking at a level that everybody can't understand. And yeah. then there's a benefit at, uh, of, of always, whenever you see something like that, mm-hmm. wanting to shoot it out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, unless it becomes less lucrative to give people graphic design degrees, <laughs> and mind you, I'm implicated in this. Right. Um, like you're you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to really have people um, feel like it's okay to yeah. have to have that. Like it's never gonna be. So and that's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a nice transition into my final question that that is the question that I ask everybody and for you I'm going to make it into two parts to tie it back to what you're just saying and and the first part of that is what are the the issues that designers should be talking about what are the what are the subjects that should be a part of this discourse that's the question that I ask everybody I want to add a, a second part to that which is how how do you make those subjects accessible to people so it does to other designers so it doesn't come across as elite or pretentious or overly academic that it's not relevant to the work that we're doing you know what i mean like well which is which is the whole project of everything that i write is that yeah Yeah. like how do you uh like i i'm almost more interested in writing the the how to how to draw with the pen tool and illustrator manual that somehow also incorporates yeah. bigger, better yeah. theories yeah. in the field than I am in going going the other way around. And I like I do think it's possible. I think through I think good writing, good teaching, good everything ha- has uh, a level like has the steps to come into it. Like where okay, like if I know how to make a cheese sandwich, I can read this. But then <laughs> you know, if I want to up it you know like yeah, not only yeah. in terms of the constellation of things that are available but also in terms of the, the object itself like having different entry points right. and not you know because no, nobody's required to read the whole thing of anything you know so right. like how do you actually pull people in i think it's just really necessary like i, I and it's, there's so many good examples of it and it, and also like the question of relevance to the outside world yeah. as well which you know like one of my favorite uh things that i i I've, I've read is uh, Atul Gawande. Like, I don't know if you've read. Oh books. yeah. Yeah. And like every time that I read one of his books, like I just want to cry because yeah. it's like, here's a guy writing about medicine, yeah. about being a doctor and I'm not a surgeon, but everything that he says is relevant to what I do. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we don't really, we don't really think that way at so much. Like we don't think about how relevant the, we don't think about what we know, you know, like we don't think about what right. uh, we actually mm-hmm. do. You mm-hmm. know, it's like we, we keep thinking like, well, what am I going to say about like the shape of the S and the logo or yeah. whatever, yeah. You know, but that's going to make that interesting for somebody. And instead, like we never talk about um, what it means to always be the person who's there as a kind of mid- midwife for somebody's idea or, hmm. or to their book yeah. or their business. Like we don't really, uh, the things that we observe in terms of how people make their decisions and like how people do things together or yeah. whatever, like we haven't really figured out a, a, a reason or a way to express those things. And part of what I, I mean, I, my, my hope for the whole sabbatical and this to, to actually answer part one of your, like, so sabbatical, I started out last June around this time. And my first thought was I can make a run for it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I could go and study radiology or something or whatever. Oh, like, I yeah, could do yeah, one year yeah. or something and, like, just, just uh, scram, you know, at this point. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then when I started doing interviews for this book, I started to think about, like, actually, no. Like, I really do like, I like it here. I want to stay yeah. here. And uh, I like the freedom that this field gives to learn whatever you want, wherever you are. Yeah. And, like, that's something that I'm not going to get everywhere. And for that matter, like it also kind of let me kind of fall back in love with 
um, being but, a teacher yeah. too, or being being a part of an institution of like, wow, like if I'm really curious about the history of design education in the United States, or if I'm really uh, curious about how brains work in terms of mm -hmm. um, organizing uh, yeah. visual yeah. thoughts or whatever, I have I have a license to just go. Like I have an okay to so just go ahead and like do that. Like as right. long as as long as I write it down and I make it useful, like I can actually go learn whatever I want. And like there's not, um, and the same is for design work. I mean, yeah. all you do as a designer is learn. And yeah, uh, you know, you learn about other people for the most part and like how they do things and why they do things. And it's really pretty cool. So I mean, yeah. I, I don't yeah. mean to be so Pollyanna-ish about it, but like there are there are things. No, I, <laughs> there are things. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I I love that. I feel like I like kind of ending this on on that kind of kind of note. Actually, I really like what you're doing and the way that you're thinking about it. And I'm and thank you also for listening to the podcast. And I'm glad that that we finally got to sit down and. <laughs> And do this. So thank you so much. Yeah, and I mean, I, and I will, I will, uh, you know, as I told you before we started speaking, just say like, thank you know, thank you for sharing your what is essentially your research, you know, yeah. with everyone as you're doing it. Uh, it. It's just such a nice, it's a nice thing for somebody to take on and put in the time to ask these questions and and you know, we learn with you, like when you're as you're learning. Yeah, it's like actually a really great. Oh, thanks. That, that means a lot. That really does. This episode was recorded on May 12th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.